This morning's reading from the Bible is from Jonah, chapter 3. We'll be reading all 10 verses. You'll find that on page 926 of the Blue Church Bibles and also on the screen behind us. It's Jonah 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Well, would you like a good way to describe God? I think this passage gives us one, and the people of Nineveh are easy to understand and easy to remember, of course. This morning's talk divides into four parts. Uh, God gives Jonah a second chance. The Ninevites surprisingly listen to Jonah. God gives the Ninevites a second chance, and Jesus is better. Well, firstly, God gives Jonah a second chance. Verse 1 of that passage. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So God could have said to Jonah, Jonah, you're no use to me. You know, you've, you've had your chance, you're done. And Jonah didn't just have a second chance, did he? God actually uh, saved him from the bottom of the ocean. So there was his first second chance and Jonah didn't turn around and say, I'll go, God, now. But even then, despite all that, God still gives him, God calls him and gives him another chance. When I was uh, first doing this sermon, preparing it, uh, I got an email on the Monday before the sermon saying, oh, Jeff, what's the title for this Sunday's sermon? It's like, title? I'm not that far advanced, goodness gracious. So, in panic, I do what people of my age do, which is I Googled it. Sermon title, Jonah chapter 3. I'm sure there's the newer generation may well have asked Siri, but that's not me. I'm still in the Google generation. And uh, they had some, uh, there were some answers there. There was, the Ninevites respond. Yeah, true, they do respond, don't they? Jeez, it's a bit dull. Uh, For God so loved Nineveh. Hey, I like that title, but I reckon that belongs next week. So... Jonah 4 next week, for God so loved Nineveh. The greatest sermon ever. 
Jeez, no pressure, Jeff. Uh, then I saw this one, the God of second chances. And I thought, that's it. That is the God we meet in Jonah chapter 3, isn't it? He's the God of second chances. He gives Jonah a second chance and he gives the Ninevites a second chance. And the funny thing is about the Ninevites, of course, is that they listened to Jonah. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. The fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. See, the Ninevites listen despite what we think of them, isn't it? Who would have thought that those Ninevites would turn to God? They weren't God's people. They were quite the opposite. They were wicked. 1 verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh, God says to Jonah, 1 verse 2, and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But it's a funny thing when the Ninevites listen to Jonah. It's something that actually we may well expect. See, God says this is the pattern. When he's speaking to Ezekiel, who he calls um, while the Israelites are in Babylon, he gives Ezekiel this message. He says, You're not being sent to a people of obscure speech and strange language, but to the people of Israel. Not to many peoples of obscure speech and strange language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I'd sent you to them, they would have listened to you. It's a funny thing, isn't it? God says... People from other places, they will listen. It's those you often think of as God's people who don't. It's funny how things change, isn't it? A few hundred years ago, if you looked at those, you know, when I was growing up, we had the colours of the map. And one of the colours would represent what religion areas were. And Europe was the the Christian colour. And a few hundred years ago, if you'd done the same thing, the Pacific Islands would have been a a dramatically different colour. And yet... Uh, when the whole thing with Israel Folau was going on, one of the deliberations apparently went through with Rugby Australia was we want to we watch how we treat Christians because many of the Pacific Islanders who love the game and play the game and are top stars in the game are Christian. They didn't say, oh, we better watch out for those people from European descent because, you know, no, no, no fear of that. They're good the most unlikely people to listen. The people of Nineveh, in Ezekiel's time, God says it would have been the other lot who would listen. Paul, the apostle, who had persecuted the church, turned and became a missionary for the church. The last few hundred years, those from the Pacific Islands, and now many Chinese. And the Ninevites listen despite the messenger. See, I think you would imagine that one thing that's important about delivering a message like this is that you love the people. When I was doing preaching courses, I was told that you must, you must love the people you're speaking to. It didn't seem that that's what Jonah did, does it? He ran away. And chapter 4, verse 1, after the Ninevites had turned and God hadn't got angry with them, 4, verse 1, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. It's easy for us to think it's better if we don't speak because you know, it will do more harm than good and we've got wrong motives and all that sort of thing. But Jonah spoke with a poor attitude and people listened. And Paul talks of those who preach to stir up trouble for him. It's in Philippians uh, chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 from verse 15. It says... 
It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. It's extraordinary, isn't it? God uses unlikely people to bring people to himself. So perhaps, just perhaps, he'll use us. And the Ninevites listen despite the message. So it's a pretty simple message, isn't it, from verse 4 of Jonah 3. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It's not really the message that you want to hear as you drink your morning coffee. We want to hear, you'll have good health. You'll have a a good and stable job and wonderful relationships. And it's funny, it's not the message that Jonah wants to preach. Do you remember just back in chapter 2, verse 9, the second part of it, at the end of Jonah's prayer from inside the big fish, he says, I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And here he is with the message God's given him. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That is, God will judge. And I expect that it's something that we don't like to talk about. And I suspect that it's something that we don't talk about much. But I think there are good reasons to mention God's judgment. Because first of all, of course, the Ninevites listened when all they heard was judgment. And secondly, often, our favourite passages in the Bible... Uh, They talk about eternal life. But if you just look a little deeper, they actually do talk about judgment, don't they? For example, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, shall not perish. Or John 3.36. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. It's not a pleasant thing, but it's there. And it's the, it's the flip side of the good news, isn't it? The good news is that you get away from God's judgment and you get the life, the life that we all want. And there's Penn Gillette's argument. Here's a picture of Penn. I'm sure many of you will recognise him. He's... Penn from Penn and Teller. I had just assumed that Penn was his surname, but no, that's not the case. His name is Penn Gillette. And he has a, he's a very clear way of expressing things. If you ever get to watch some of his uh, shows, they're terrific. And his, his speaking is, um, is just shows a great deal of clarity. And here's uh, a quote from him. He's not a Christian, uh, anything but. But this is what he says. And I've always said, you know, that I don't... Res- I don't respect people that don't proselytise. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, well, it's it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean... 
if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you don't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. See, it's a heavy message, but it makes sense, doesn't it? It's, yes, it's difficult to talk about things like God's judgment, but it's actually loving. Just to mention Israel Folau again, uh, I think he's been labelled with this being as being a homophobic message. His message was homophobic. I think actually it would be more homophobic to say nothing. If you think that people are going in a certain direction, going to hell, going to a bad place, missing out on eternal life even, and you say nothing, well... Surely it's much more loving and caring to say something, to give them a warning. It is socially awkward and it's loving. Now we can also think when we uh, talk about God, particularly God's judgment, that it will make people further from God. And I think that will often be the case, but that's just the character of it. The Apostle Paul talks about it this way in 2 Corinthians 2. He says, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death, but to the other, an aroma that brings life. Yes, it's it's just a consequence of speaking about God. We don't get to choose how people respond. People respond the way they do. But it shouldn't stop us speaking about God. Uh, Over Easter this year, um, we were in New South Wales, uh, which is where I grew up. We were back there visiting, uh, caught up with some friends and family. And during Easter, we were staying near EV Church. Not sure if you've heard of EV Church, but there's a picture of it. It's it's the church to be at. It's the place to go. Trinity Church ministers, when they're being trained in various things like 5Ms or how to reach Australia or whatnot, they all front up to there, to EV Church. And uh, because, you know, that's the place to be. So I uh, went along, our family went along, and I thought it'd be great to see, you know, what they do. How do they do it? What was it that made them great? We went along, we got guided into a car park. That was nice. Got out of the car, uh, walked down to church. There was no particular welcome. Uh, The music was good, not spectacular. The sermon was good, I thought, not spectacular. But what I found interesting about this was that it was Easter Sunday, a day of great celebration. And yet even on Easter Sunday, while celebrating Jesus' resurrection, God's judgment got a mention. It was talked about quite a bit. And of course, we think of some of the great preachers. Uh, Billy Graham from last century. He was known as a bit of a fry and brimstone preacher. People do actually respond to God's judgment sometimes. Well, the good news is that after the Ninevites responded, God gives them a second chance. So he gives them a second chance, of course, by sending Jonah in the first place. He could have just said nothing and destroyed them. But the very fact he's giving them a warning is a second chance. And he gave them a second chance, despite their past. See, verse 8, 
the king speaking, of king of Nineveh, he says, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. So even the king is not saying we're any good. Or verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. See, there were evil ways. He gave them a second chance. God gives them a second chance despite their past. And in fact, the change of tune is so stark, isn't it? Because God said, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Well, perhaps it's irony. Like you think, how can, how can this happen? Has God changed his mind? Is he wrong? Perhaps there's irony in the fact that 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown is in fact what's happened. Not overthrown in the sense of destroyed, but overthrown in the sense of turned upside down completely and the Ninevites have completely changed their approach to life. Well, was it because of their action, the Ninevites, of the Ninevites that God overlooked and, had, and forgave them? Well, actually, their action isn't that great. They didn't acknowledge the God of Israel. They didn't go to the temple in Jerusalem to worship. They didn't get circumcised like the Israelites did at that time. All they did was turn from their evil ways. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. See, it's actually, God is actually easy to please, isn't he? He's, it's easy to get into his good books. See, some things are easy and some things are hard in life. Um, it's like there's two sorts of soccer teams. There are those that are very hard to get into, uh, like Real Madrid, who's uh, won the European Champions League, which is the, the, pretty much the top club league in the world, three years in a row. You have to train from when you're a child, go through the ranks, and eventually you might make it. Now, there's two people on the screen. I hope you can all see the people on the screen. And uh, play a bit of an interactive game here. It's a bit of guess what's on Jeff's mind, but sorry about that. Um, two people on the screen. What do they have in common? Okay, what do they have in common? Call it out. There's no such thing as a silly answer. They both play soccer. Certainly true. Both play soccer. Do we know who they are first? Actually, that might help. Do you know who they are? Who's the guy on the left? Do you know the guy on the left? No? Not a big soccer fan community here? <laughs> oh, here we go. We've got one. Full marks. James Rodriguez from Colombia. Good job. Yes, he played in the, got it, the World Cup, right, the 2014 World Cup. And I think he was, he was the top goal scorer and player of the tournament, I think. Terrific player. Yep, that's the guy on the left. And uh, the guy on the right, David Beckham, that's right. We all, we all, a lot of us know him. So what do those two players have in common? Anyone have a guess? Sorry? Missed the goal. I'm sure, meant, I'm sure they have, yeah, missed many goals. Yep. Um, I'm sure they've both been sent off, but that wouldn't make them... I guess I'm looking for something that's reasonably unique. Yes, I'm sure they've... Well, I don't know. Sorry? Bennett like Beckham? They both are extraordinary kicks, actually. But, um, sorry, like I said, it is a bit of guess what's on Jeff's mind. They actually both um, played for Real Madrid. But the funny thing about both of them, this is not what's common. I mean, many players have played for Real Madrid. 
both of them were pretty much at the top of their game and the top players in the world. When Real Madrid have gone, yeah, yeah, we'll have you, you know, come here. And then they've both come to Real Madrid and they've actually both found themselves not playing. So David Beckham, who is you know, pretty much you know, the top two or three players in the world, turns up to Real Madrid, plays you know, right midfield. And uh, unfortunately, Real Madrid already had the best right midfielder in the world. And so David Beckham found himself not playing very much and uh, eventually gave him a left. James Rodriguez, extraordinary player, terrific attacking midfielder. Again, turns up, finds himself not playing. That picture there... Uh, you'll see he's wearing a red jumper. That's actually Bayern Munich. So while he was uh, a registered player for Real Madrid, they actually said, actually, so much we don't want you. Um, we're going to give you to Real Madrid for a year or two. And um, that's Real Madrid. Tough to get into. Even if you're among the best players in the world, you might find yourself not in their team. But then there's the other sort of team. Bring up the next one. Here we go. I don't know how well you can see that. That is the illustrious Unley Browns. We play on Thursday nights at uh, Life Being an Unley. Sport for all, they call it. And that's a picture of us getting the runners-up award for the E grade. <laughs> I, I call it grade Z because the grade varies. If they have five grades, you know, well, actually, we're so bad... They don't even have an A grade. They call the top grade A to C because they don't want to put us in C grade. We're the bottom grade. We're grade Z. Our grade goes up and down, not according to how good we are, but according to how many teams they have playing and so how many levels they have. That's us, the Browns. If you want to get into the Browns, you don't have to be particularly fit. You don't have to be young. You don't have to be good at soccer. All you have to do... Is turn up. That's it. Is turn up. So you've got two sorts of teams. You've got the Real Madrid, extremely hard to get into. You may be one of the best in the world, but still you find yourself on the sidelines. Or the Browns, easy to get into, no dramas. Can I say God's good books are a bit like the illustrious Unley Browns? <laughs> They're easy to get into. Easy to get into. All you have to do is turn up to get into the Browns. All you have to do is turn to God and you're in his good books. See, God is a God, not of the scales, but of second chances. He's kind. Exodus 34, 7, uh, Exodus 34 verses 6 to 7. And he passed in front of Moses, this is God, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation. See, what's God like? Well, the first thing to say is he's kind and compassionate. He's forgiving. It's not all there is to say. Yes, he is a God who will judge. But when the Ninevites turn to God, he has compassion on them. They haven't done more good than bad or reached their ideal weight on the good life scales. But chapter 3, verse 10 of Jonah, when they saw 
When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So we don't need to panic about whether we're good enough for God. For God is not the God of the scales. He is not weighing up whether we've done enough good to outweigh the bad. Yes, he will punish sin, and he has punished sin. But he calls people to turn to him and away from evil. And when they do, he forgives them, as we saw in John 3.16, which we looked at earlier. And Jesus refers to this story. And Jesus is saying that, well, he is better. And that has implications for, well, for the people who are listening. Luke 11, verse 32. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. Repent, according to Wikipedia, is to change direction. Going this way, and then you turn around and go the complete opposite way. So you can't just look at the story of Nineveh and say, well, that's nice. Jesus says that the Ninevites will judge his generation because his generation hasn't turned around. They haven't repented. See, they have something greater. They have Jesus with his miracles. And we, of course, similarly have Jesus with his miracles. And not just with his miracles, of course, but with his resurrection from the dead, which showed his power over death and his power also for us over death. And his promise is not just that we won't be overthrown in 40 days' time, but that we can have eternal life because his life was given for us. And so we should be like the people of Nineveh, make sure that when we change our ways and turn to God. So what do we see from Jonah 3? Well, we see that it's worth telling people about God and about what he's like because some people, surprising people often, will turn to God. And just as God had compassion on the Ninevites and gave them another chance, so he'll have compassion on all people who turn to him because God is a God of second chances.